Hey, Tim, how's it going? Hey, David, it's going fantastic. Thank you for asking. I had a great Father's Day the other day. You know, oh, yeah. I got a, got a Trump shirt that uh, said I was the best dad ever and all the other dads are losers. Uh, I, got a, I got an Apple Watch, which was pretty sweet and uh, had a nice, nice Japanese barbecue dinner with the family. Yeah, it was fantastic. Nice. I'm, I suppose I had a good Father's Day because I'm not a father, which is quite good at yeah, the moment. That, Though, that you know of. Yeah, that I know of. Though I would like to be a father relatively soon, uh, but you know, I don't want to be a father right now because first, you know, I would want a wife. But so it'll be interesting to see how my Father's Day progress in the coming years. Yeah, it will be. I'll I'll be very curious to see how your objectivist wife, uh, kind of objectivist babies, you have. Uh, yeah, that's another conversation, but, uh, <laughs> yeah, but I wanted to do a thought experiment with you and I don't know how this will go at all. Okay. Um, so let's see. So, you know, you and I have differing views on intellectual property, right? If I may sum it up very broadly, like I think there should be IP laws and you think IP laws don't make sense. Is that? Accurate? Yes. Okay. I think, um, I think they more than that. I think they're unethical. Yeah. Okay. You think they're unethical. My apologies. Okay. Uh, immoral, maybe. uh, I I use those words uh, to mean the same thing, but um, so my question is if there is an, so basically, you know, once I, if, if a company creates a movie, right, they produce a movie that is now like a digital thing and I'm not stealing anything physical from them. So I if I get access to it, I should be able to distribute it broadly. Correct. Well, I, I, it, it depends how you get access to it, I suppose. Um, you know, like it usually quite often movies are pirated by uh, a projectioner, for example, mm. uh, that doing a digital stream and capturing it that way. And I think that, uh, you know, one way to protect against that is to have explicit employee contracts that say, if you do this, you are liable for damages or something like that, or li- you know, there, there will be X consequences and uh, won't be pretty, right? So um, I think that's one way of, of dealing with it. So I think that that if that uh, pirating, let's say, in that sense can be wrong. But I think that once that information is out there, if I come across it, if it's on my computer, uh, I mean, I, I own, I own that it's on, it's, it's my computer. So, so- so the act of ripping it, let's call it, might be illegal if and it could if you because yeah. you'd have an explicit contract in place. But once it yeah. has been ripped, if it's on yeah. the internet, you know it's not illegal for you to access it. That's right. Yeah. Um, okay. So I I mean I have qualms about how that would relate to physical things, but I actually want to ask my my thought experiment is how this sure. would re- relate to a more personal example. So. Let's say I send, you know, my girlfriend or, you know, someone I'm dating a nude of myself mm-hmm. and then that is widely distributed, right? So did, yeah. do I have a right to try and get that taken down? Do I have a right? Like this was, I, I made this for one person. And so you even saw with kind of like the celebrity nude gate or whatever it was called when like a bunch of celebrities, uh, iClouds got hacked. And so do you think that an individual has the right to their body and the, the likeness of their body to try and get that taken down off the internet? Um, yeah, I, I don't think you can have that right because um, like, let's say I accidentally see you naked and that is forever 
ingrained in my mind. I can't get it out of there. You can't get it out of there. Your likeness is there in my brain. You don't own that. It's unfortunately there in my brain, unfortunate for both of us. And, um, you know, I, I just don't think you own the contents of my brain and there's nothing right. you can do about it. Right. So in the same way, if it's on my hard drive or on my phone, um, you know, you don't own, uh, a pattern, right. Or photons or whatever. I mean, the, the, those, that phone is owned by me. So I, I don't see how you can, without violating property rights, um, you know, say that you take that photo down. But so isn't it a violation of my rights by this person to kind of either explicitly or implicitly yeah. breach the contract? Um, and so yeah. you're profiting, let's call it, from someone who breached a contract, right? Um, yeah. So how is that? Yeah I, I, yeah, I think you can make an argument that the person who violated your trust, like as certainly if you had a verbal agreement, and I think it's probably implicit that if you're in a relationship, a trusting relationship with someone and you send them an intimate photo or something like that, um, that, that if they release that, they're breaking some kind of implicit contract or even maybe a, a verbal contract with you and, and that they ought to be liable in some way uh, for that for sure. Yeah. So let's talk, there's a few different areas I want to explore here. And again, it's literally, I'm trying to think about this. So, uh, sure. you know, I'm really interested in your thoughts. One is, so the, the whole idea is that a proper system of laws would be like based on actual, like what is moral and what is uh, like objectively moral, right? Um, yeah. And I don't think it would, it's moral for someone who, okay, I didn't take the photo, but I know this was taken by someone, right? So I send my girl or my girlfriend sends me a nude and I distribute it to four friends. They know that that's not ethical, right? And then, then if they continue to spread it, they know that the continued spread of it isn't ethical, I would think. Hmm. Uh, well, it's certainly not good. It's shitty, a shitty thing to do, but is it a violation of your property right? Is it a violation of you as an individual? I don't think well, that, no, so that it is. I'm talking, yeah. So I'm saying before we get, I'm trying to like work up to whether or not it's a violation of property rights. So right. just, if it's not good, it's unethical, right? It, this is bad, right? They should not be doing this. Like you can do bad things that aren't a violation yeah. of property rights, right? Like I can berate you for 20 minutes about how you're a piece of right, human garbage. Right. That's yeah, bad, yeah. Right? yeah, I can uh, spread rumors about you. I can, right, you yeah. know, whatever, right? I can eat, uh, you know, corn syrup by the gallon. It's not a good thing yeah. to do, you know. Right. Yeah. Okay, so we agree that it's, it's bad to do something like that. And so I'm now trying to understand where the difference is between Sure. Physical, like, because it really comes down to how do we treat, quote, digital property, or is there even such a thing, which is a relatively new yep. phenomenon, right? Um, and so it's really about how do we treat that as such. Um, and the reason I find it interesting is because, okay, if I got a bunch of products from you by fraud, right? Um, yep. And then, so let's say I get 100... I don't know, a hundred microphones from you. And uh, I, I give you a fraudulent check and you don't get the money. And then I distribute those further. Maybe this isn't the best example, but those people 
I mean, if they knew they were buying stolen microphones, essentially, yeah. they're ethically wrong. And, you know, but it's still yeah, the, who has the property right, right? Technically, yep. wouldn't you still have the property right? Because I yes. defrauded you and then I yep. sold it to someone else. But it's, yeah. it's not easy to then determine, you know, what retribution or, you know, does that person keep that microphone? No, but if retribution can be shown or a clear line to, of property can be shown, I mean, you, you need to return that to the owner, right? Mm. And, and that's, that's their physical property. Property is material, right? And so, so that needs to be returned for sure. Yeah. But what if they didn't know, right? So what if it's like five degrees removed? I just bought a microphone from a kiosk and then someone tells me and comes and says, well, this was stolen. You have to return yeah. it. I mean, I suppose as long as I can get my refund, maybe that's acceptable. Well, you, you were defrauded by as well, right? in so buy as well, right? Like you, you assume you were buying a, a legitimate, you know, it was a legitimate exchange of property and they lied and it wasn't. So you are owed your money back, but also the original property owners owed their microphone back. Um, so, uh, okay, you know. And, that, and so this is where I struggle to see how it, for me, how it doesn't translate to the digital world, because the idea for me is that, you know, if I create a film, right, and mm -hmm. I have an explicit contract with anyone that would view that film, that they shouldn't rip it, and then yep. they do rip it, and they spread it, right, that person right. is still accessing something of mine that I created um, without uh, consent. Yeah. Right. They, they have, they haven't, but they haven't violated your property. Right. That's, that's the thing, right. They've violated a contract, an agreement they had with you. Right. It would be the same as if, if I had an agreement with you not to, um, not to, to tell a business secret, right. We were in a partnership together. We had a trade secret or a secret uh, of the business that we didn't want our competition right, finding out. I could sue you and get compensation if you yes. breach that contract. So yeah. it's not a matter yeah. of property rights, but it's a matter of, it's a matter of contract breach of contract. Yes. Um, okay. So that, that helps me clarify it a bit. So maybe intellectual property is a misnomer, but there is still. Well, it, it was originally, it was originally actually called more properly intellectual monopoly. It was a state granted monopoly to prevent competition. Um, so that, you know, to, to favor certain industries or something like that. Like we, you, you started a pizza shop or something and you you made the claim that well i can't make a go of this unless i'm free of competition for 17 years or whatever and so the state then gives you a monopoly on that idea and no one else can open up a pizza shop because for for 17 years or whatever that's essentially what into intellectual property is it's an it's an intellectual monopoly it's an it's a monopoly that says only you are allowed to arrange your property in that particular pattern and in that particular way Right. And this is where it, it gets interesting for me, because to me, there's a difference between like ideas and digital produced content, let's say, right? To me, there is a distinction and maybe it's wrong, right? To have that distinction, right? But yeah, I agree. Like if you say this idea is, uh, you can trademark this idea, right? Where do you draw the line? What is broad enough or specific enough to warrant, yes, you can trademark it or not. But where I'm, so again, maybe it has to be decoupled because for me still, when it's like uh, an actual digitally produced item, right? Um, 
that is somehow different to me than just an idea. Cause you're getting act like, uh, you know, even if you never print any of your vacation photos that you took on a digital camera, they're still your photos. You wouldn't want someone hacking into your computer and taking them. Right. So there yeah. is at least perhaps incorrectly, there's an association of this is my property. This is my digital content, my digital space. And that's the yeah. way people are talking about it now, even with like yeah. online, uh, you know, data, right. Who owns their, uh, data, does Facebook own my data or do I own my data? But it's still the data right. about me. And so it's, 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 it's not a physical product, but it is something produced, right? Like it's digitally produced. And so well, it's, it's information. Ultimately it's information on a hard drive in, in a memory chip or whatever. Um, you know, and, and it's, it's analogous to information in my brain or something like that as well. Um, you know, well, so and, I, and, and, I question if it is right. That's, I think, the fundamental difference between us is I'm not certain it's analogous to information in your brain. That's why I would say an idea is right. And I, I mean, I'd be more uh, amenable to us to claiming that aspect of intellectual property might not be valid. But the digital content, because there's perhaps perhaps like what comes to mind is the scale of distribution, right? Because yes, if I yeah. show you a bunch of photos or I tell you about my idea, that's in your head and I can't, you know, without a contract, prevent you from spreading that. But if you have like a digital reproduction, then you have the ability to mass distribute it. So, and, you know, yeah. but you could also go and, you know, rent out a stadium of 20,000 people and tell them my story. Yeah, I mean, it's, it, you know, I, I'm not... I share the same trepidations with you, but you know, I, I just kind of have to follow philosophy to where it leads. Right. And, um, ultimately it's information arranged in a pattern on property that that's what digital, that's what a digital product essentially is. Right. So I have a picture on my computer. Um, it's on my hard drive. It's on my, in my Ram, whatever you have that same picture. I like, if I transmit that picture to you, I haven't deprived myself of that picture. If you, if someone steals it from me or steals it, I it put in air quotes, um, hacks into my computer and, and takes it. I mean, uh, they might may have violated some kind of agreement or contract with me, but once it's on their computer, I can't say that that's my image because it's a pattern on their hard drive in their computer. I still have that same image. They haven't deprived me of anything. Um, but you know, I, I do feel, in some way violated because I wanted that to be private and I didn't take the necessary precautions or whatever to prevent that from happening. And, and someone got it and now it's out there in the world and I don't know um, how I can get that back. Right. It, 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 and to me, it's, it's very similar to if I don't want someone to see me naked, but yet I open up the bathroom door and there's someone standing there and they see me in all my glory uh, that image is there in their mind. I wish I could get it back out of their mind. I don't like the ramifications of them knowing which way my uh, penis leans and <laughs> or whatever. Yeah. Um, but it's, it's there in their mind and there's nothing I can do, but I don't, we don't have the men in black thing that erases memories. Um, and I don't think it would be ethical to, to do that anyways, uh, right. because it's, it's their mind, not mine. Right. And, and this right. goes also by the way to, it's the same along the same lines as defamation. You know, I think there's, there's overlapping kind of um, 
mistakes here that Rand makes uh, in both these cases because defamation is, is similar, right? If someone spreads a lie about you and that harms your business, what, it, what, what that means is that people maybe aren't coming to your business because they believe a lie. Now, you know, I, I have to look at this philosophically and say, well, are you entitled to that person's money or their business? No, you're not. That's not your money. Um, are you entitled to what they think about you? Because your reputation is entirely in the minds of other people, right? No, you're not entitled to them thinking about you a particular way. Um, so, you know, I think that, um, you know, we, we did a, a podcast on defamation. I can't get behind defamation as a legitimate concept um, in terms of damages. And it's very similar reasons for me with IP. Yes, it does damage you in the sense that you, you might've gotten money from other people in exchange for that product that now you're not going to get, but you were never entitled to that money to begin with. It's not your money, it's their money. And you're never entitled to their business. Like they have to freely give that to you. So, you know, the, the, the lesson here is, and you know, the music industry is learning this is that you Pandora's box is opened, whether even if you think it's unethical, the, the reality is your, your business model now has to reflect the idea that people can easily, information can spread so quickly through the digital medium that everyone can have access to that pattern of music and your sounds and all that stuff very, very easily. Um, and so you have to come to terms with that and, and, figure out from a business perspective, how can I still make money? And some bands have leveraged this and, and put their music out for free and gone use, gone to places where their music is most pirated, let's say, and played big concerts there and made lots of money by using that as a tool to f- figure out, you know, yeah. you have to adjust your, your business practice to the fact that information is so readily available um, that it's not, you know, even the state can't, impose a monopoly on it anymore it's almost impossible but i still buy music on apple itunes why because it's i I, it's an easy place for me to get it i'm guaranteed the quality and it's not that expensive right they've lowered the price point to the point where Uh, i can get all the music i want for a low price and i don't want to have to deal with the headache of searching it out and finding it for free or whatever Right. And like when I used to torrent heavily, it was only out of convenience. I would have paid right. if it was convenient to pay. Right. It's right. just, I want exactly what I want exactly when I want it. Right. Exactly. Um, yeah. And yeah, your example with music and the way the industry has had to shift does resonate with me strongly. And like, no, as soon as there's an idea, like, you know, it can get out there. Right. Um, and it's interesting. Then it does become about, you know, which, which clients do I use? Like, do I use Google or where they might steal or leak my idea? Or do I use uh, Microsoft because I really trust that they protect my stuff and any document I upload won't get spread. But once it's out on the internet, you can't track it. It's literally impossible. Um, Yeah. um, Yeah. And so, and so like as, as a, maybe let's say an aspiring author, I, you know, I'd love to write a book or two. Um, And my thought is, okay, well, am I going to make money off books? Like the, the subjects I plan on writing on are widely available by other authors probably, and maybe even more articulate. Um, so, 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 okay, go ahead. But but what I was going to say is, you know, the value now of an ebook of putting out a book essentially for free is that it creates a funnel. It creates, here's, here's a free gift from me, this ebook, you can download it, 
in exchange for your name on a mailing list or whatever. Right now I have your email. That's a, that's the exchange I'm willing to make. And now I'm going to try to upsell you on the next thing, right? Which is maybe a subscription to our subscribe scar thing that we're going to launch pretty soon. Or maybe the next level up from that is like a masterclass where I do an online thing about, you know, that only you will have access to, uh, because I'll have a security code and yeah, I want to protect that from getting hacked Mm -hmm. and I'm going to put up safeguards and it's going to be pretty hard to hack it. Um, if it gets out there, I have to accept based on my philosophy that there's nothing I can do about it. And uh, they don't owe me anything, um, unless they violated a contract with me. But even then, I think that's probably a bad business practice to constantly try to club down thing. I would prefer to try to find new ways of providing value. Maybe the next level up from that is a convention or a conference where we all get together with like-minded things and have a great time, uh, an uplifting time and an inspiring time or something like that, where now I'm charging $1,000 for a weekend for you to come and connect with a bunch of experts that are going to help you get clean your room or something. So... I have, a few, I have a few different points that I think are important to cover. One is not worth diving into. I just want to highlight what the objectivist position seems to be and why I also don't quite understand it or buy it, right? Because their right. idea is it's somehow that like, well, product, like rationality and productivity are inextricably linked. So if you don't have the freedom to produce an intellectual thing and bear the benefits of that production, then it's somehow doesn't let you to live freely. Like I don't even quite understand it because it's never quite made sense to me, but it's this idea of there is no mind body dichotomy. It's one thing. So to produce a mental uh, product, let's call it is the equivalent of producing a physical product. And if you're not free to bear all of the fruits of your mental labor, you're not Mm -hmm. going to work at all in that field. Right? So if someone can just, if you do 10 years of work, and someone can just then rip it from right. you and earn all the profits, then you're just not going to enter that field generally. But I think your yeah. argument is valid that, well, that just means the state of that field isn't good enough such that you can protect that. And, and then it's just, the, that's just the case. Yeah. And, and I, I also want to point, I also want to point out, uh, you know, there's a great book I'm reading right now by Matt, Matt Ridley about innovation and how innovation happens. Right. And he makes a case very compellingly in the book that it's all incremental. Right. And that if, mm-hmm. if, if we followed intellectual property to its logical conclusion, you would have to pay every person who had an iteration of that, that you built on, um, going, it would make innovation impossible. It would come to a standstill essentially because it would just, right. you know, and even words, right? Who invented the English language and would we have to pay a royalty every time we used a word that someone right. else coined like, or something like that? Limit, right? And, and where, where's the limit and stuff? So and, all, all innovation occurs by these small iterations. And, and he even makes a case like the light bulb. I think like four or five different people basically invented the light bulb at the same time. Right. And, and he makes a case that, that you can see these little epochs throughout innovative history where a certain invention comes to fruition in multiple places, disparate places at the same time. And he says it's because it was it's almost like it was inevitable because of the innovations that had occurred up to that point. Like this was the next logical, logical step. step. Like yeah. when you look back in hindsight, of course, it took those innovators and inventors 
they had the correct foresight to put it into place. But the ones that were successful were the ones that actually found a way to bring it to market and connect it with people. So it wasn't enough just to have the idea. You also had to have the ideas around how to get it to market and how to connect it and make it valuable for other people. uh, And and that sort of thing, right? Interesting because that like intellectual property, let's call it is a very new phenomenon, relatively speaking. And so perhaps the proper distribution mechanisms to get it out there quickly and profit just aren't there. And so like, um, but I want to, I want to shift. Well, and sorry, and I want to make one more point on that. And it's also a way of protecting you from people that are better at your business than you are. Right. So if, if I make, um, you know, if I invent a drug or something like that and you know, I'm having a hard time getting it to market, but someone else, uh, says, Oh, I, I, I reverse engineered this. I can now make it. And I know exactly how to get it to market. And that person can get it out there to where it's actually valuable. I mean, why shouldn't that person benefit? It's not just the invention itself. It's the invention of how to get it out there to people. Right. Right. And that's what competition does. And you could argue that it stifles innovation. You've made the argument because innovation isn't just the drug development. So like, you know, the, you know, Advil or whatever, right? They got a monopoly on ibuprofen for however long um, until everyone else could distribute ibuprofen. But that means they don't have to innovate the entire, I mean, part of it is because there's such a regulatory hurdle to get something. Yes. By the time you can actually distribute it, everyone can rip you off anyways. So it's like the state correcting the state's issue. But you could argue that no, drugs have to be innovative, not just in the actual chemical compounds, but also as soon as they get a comical compound, how do they get it out to people? So yeah, and, 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 a lot, and a lot has also been written on how, how intellectual property is not pragmatic in that it stifles innovation, right? Because it turns out like when people see a high barrier for entry, they don't even bother trying to go down there and, and innovate, right? Whereas if they, they see, okay, someone else has started off on this innovation, I see how we can do it a little bit better uh, you know, now I might think I can earn some money here by competing with them. I mean, that, that is incentive to continue to innovate and create. And, and a lot of people, and, and so, you know, in the music industry, we see, like, it used to be there was maybe a dozen mega bands, right? That, you know, and, and they had a monopoly on the music. They were always played on the radio. You had to go to the record store and buy them. The record industry had kind of this intellectual monopoly. Then Napster and all these streaming services came along. And next thing you know, yes, those huge mega bands like Metallica, their top line has been impacted. But but have we seen a stifling of musical innovation? No, I mean, we have Garage, I have Garage Band on here. I created our theme song from loops and different things like that, right? I mean, everyone can create music now. And we're seeing more independent artists and people like Billie Eilish who came up through, a, you know, recording in her home and like all these different innovative musical genres and none of them were like, I'm going to be rich and I'm going to be a multimillionaire like Metallica. It's because they wanted to create something that they enjoyed and that they thought the world would enjoy and right, that, they hope they could make some money at it. That's a little different though. I mean, it's, it's the argument is that's all interlinked, which I think I agree with, but so I want to shift slightly because I don't, I don't know how long we're running, but I have two other like kind of chunks of point and you know, I'm enjoying flossing my brain about this topic um so if if we can um because you know for even when i started to think of my business idea for you know stay tuned the next facebook um i was told right away don't tell people have people send confidentiality agreements and all this stuff i'm like well no like i'm so i'm confident that i've put in so much mental work 
that even if I tell someone for hours what my idea is, they still won't actually understand it to the degree I do to rip me off mm-hmm. because that's how complex of an idea it is, right? And like those exist. Yep. And we've talked about, you know, Coca-Cola and Botox and stuff who they didn't register with the government. They, they think there are things propriety and complex, proprietary enough and complex enough that it can't be ripped off, right? But yep. I want to shift gears because, you know, you talked about if you were writing a book and someone ripped it off and distributed it, like, you know, that's, that's just what happens. But what if they ripped it off and distributed it and claimed it was theirs, right? Yeah. So you write this book, you write 100 pages, uh, and then they just take the words and say, I wrote this. So they're yep. technically lying to everyone. No, they are lying to everyone and they're potentially defrauding those people, right? Because, oh, I'm selling you something I wrote, pay me money for it. And that's a lie. So it's a false pretense under which they're distributing something. Um, yep. So is that fraud if they, cla- yeah. not, if they claim it's theirs? Yeah, it's fraud for sure if they're, pay- if they're charging money for it. I mean, if they just slap their name on it and, and just people download it for free or something like that, I'm not sure that you can make the claim that it was fraud. Uh, but I would certainly leverage that to my advantage. And, and it, I mean, if they were getting a wider spread audience with my words, you know, I, I would simply go on a campaign saying, hey, so that's actually my book and here's the proof. You know, I wrote it and create a controversy and that would be a great marketing ploy. So I would, I would lean into that myself. Um, and, and plagiarism. You would have, would you have the ability to get some of the money that they had earned under fraudulent terms? Cause they're selling your. No, I think the, the, the victim is not me. It's the people that they defrauded right under false pretenses or whatever. Okay. So, yeah. So I think the money has to go back to the people if they, if they want right. it, maybe they don't think that there was a fraud. Maybe they enjoy the words regardless of the fact that they know that they were lied to about the author. And then they find out it was me that actually wrote it. And now I'm funneling those people to my shit. Right. And right. I, I like, to me, I just have to roll with it and lean into it and try to find a way to leverage it. It's like haters, people that hate on you, you know, you retweet those people and you launch a campaign about whatever, like, if you agree with me, subscribe to my mailing list and I'll fight these devils or whatever. These people are free marketers. I, that, that's how you have to look at it. I think that's the success mindset at play. Um, now, plagiarism is also fraud, right? Like scholarship in, in university or whatever, you're going to school and you plagiarize another work or another essay and claim it's yours. That's um, based upon an agreement that, with the university. I will yeah. submit work. I originated. They're, they're, they're granting you a degree based on the fact that you've done scholarly work. And if you haven't done that work and you claim you have, which is what plagiarism is, then that's fraud against the university. It, it lessens their, uh, the value of their degree and their program and all sorts of things. Right. And so I will venture to guess that you think so like there was some case, what was it? Blurred lines had to pay like a hundred million dollars because they had ripped off some uh, music thing. And it's like, that's, you know, you know, this guy originated this riff and this riff was used in this song. And so you sold his music as if it was yours. Do you think that is, is valid in the same way if it was like an explicitly plagiarized book? Like this riff was created by him. Right. Well, this, yeah, I mean, I that proves how, like, yeah, this, it's just a, like, it's an, an unnav, it's, you can't navigate the labyrinth of where is the line for intellectual property, let's call it. 
Yeah, I, I think that, um, yeah, that, that's, a, that's a trickier one. Like, you know, I, I think it was a few notes or something like that. To me, that's a difficult case to make to say that that was fraud or something like that. I mean, it, it, like at this point, almost every combination of notes and certainly chord patterns, like, you know, we used to do, I used to play in this garage band and we'd do shows where we use the same chord pattern again, you know, R-O-C-K in the USA is the exact same chord pad pattern as Neil Diamond's. She got the way to move me, baby. I can't remember what, Sherry, Sherry or whatever. And there's like four or five songs that we'd play and just go in and out of them because they had the exact same chord pattern. Is that, but you know, pop music has particular chord patterns, right? And you can't, I mean, that's just what they're, the structure they're built on. And there are certain riffs that are going to be played and certain notes that are going to be played in certain sequence um, over and over again. So I think that's difficult to make. So I think, and then you um, could get into trying to prove the malicious intent. Like, did they just yeah. happen to copy right. it or did they knowingly and purposefully steal it, uh, and claim it? was Yeah. Or, or like, uh, like vanilla ice has a song, uh, ice, ice baby. Right. And it has that little riff. Dun, 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 dun. That's, uh, under pressure by, um, by queen. All right. That, that riff. Now, it, it, does it say that explicitly in the song or in the material? I don't think so. But everyone knows that that's sampled under pressure because um, it's, right, it's a it, popular. And it comes to mind like even when, I, when you have a news show and you show clips and like what are the rules about how long the clip can, can be. And right. Like, so, yeah, this is interesting. I'll, I'll, I'll shift to my last topic because uh, this has all been really interesting to me to kind of think about. And it's gone the opposite direction as I thought. I thought I'd bring up this, you know, nude example and I'd change your mind. So this has been interesting. Because <laughs> um, the last thing that we've touched upon in the last episode on this was the idea of like infinite contracts, right? So like people can't breach a contract. That's valid, right? Like, you know, if there's an agreement and you breach it, there can be compensation or recompense or whatever it is. Um, and so the idea is you know, theoretically, I could have a contract with everyone that ever engages with my content, content, right? So like, you know, anyone who buys a movie ticket is agreeing to the terms of use saying they will not pirate that movie, right? Like that's part of the right. contract of uh, buying the ticket. Um, and so if, if every one of them has liability, if they breach that contract, then no one can pirate it legally, right? So that's still valid because they're all right. breaching yep. the contract. Um, yep. And that would be this, but, and that would be similar to like if, because, but then you say, okay, but once it has been breached, like the person who breached it is liable and you could even sue them for, oh, you've cost me $50 million because if you hadn't distributed it, I would have sold more movies, right? So yeah. that person is liable. Yep. But the individual who, you know, is choosing to get that for free rather than pay for it, um, you know, they're not liable, right? That's just, there's this free content someone put up on the internet and I have the right yeah. to use it. Yeah. And, you know, I mean, obviously, like all these things have made me as uncomfortable uh, as you are. You know, I don't like the idea of, cause of someone stealing my ideas or, you know, stealing my business idea and 
doing better at it than me or, you know, mm-hmm. all those kinds of things are disturbing to me, but I, I just have to follow the, the philosophical thinking here. And yeah, I mean, <clears throat> movie theaters, like you go in there, you're not allowed to record. You're violating a rule. Um, in theory, could they have you sign a contract that says, listen, this movie, we expect to make uh, 40 million at the box office. Uh, if you pirate, uh, you, you're going to be on the hook for whatever the difference is between what we made and, and um, what we expected to make. And maybe that's $10 million that you, or something like right, that. Well, right. good luck, collect, good luck collecting that and good right. luck and making that your business model. Right. I don't think any successful movie theater is going to do that. They're just going to find ways to make it more enjoyable and better for me to want to pay the money to see it in their theater than to download it. And, and right. honestly, and that's, 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 that's the innovation and the streaming. Right. Now most people have Netflix and pirate less than they used to because it's just easy. Absolutely. Absolutely. And movies are coming out. You know, I paid 20 bucks for a movie that I would have gone to see in the theater. You know, I watched it with my family the other day, King of Staten Island. I would have gone to see that in the theater. I probably would have paid $40 and I would have, I would rather see it in high quality without any blips or shaking or moving and pay that money, then download it. Now, if someone else wants to download it and watch a shitty copy, okay, fine. They were probably weren't going to pay, pay full price to go see it anyways. So right. if I'm the creator of that content, I'm thinking, okay, well, it's getting out there to a wider audience. Uh, it's, uh, you know, more people are seeing my stuff. And I think that's the mindset you have to have when you're a content creator now is that, you know, you, you have to find innovative ways of, uh, giving people what they want. And then when people take your stuff, when you don't want it, you have to lean into that and figure out, well, how can I leverage that to my advantage? Obviously there's like, if, if 2 million people pirate my book and get it for free when I'm trying to sell it over here and I've only sell, sold a couple thousand copies. Okay. Well, that's still a million people reading my words with my name on it. And that I have to be able to think is super valuable in some way. How can I make money from that? And that's my next Thing to think about, right? I have to lean into that somehow. So I, I won't say I'm explicitly convinced, but you've made a lot of arguments that I have to think about and definitely I'm being convinced. And so I'll, I'll be interested to think about this right. and definitely I'm more convinced than the last time we talked. One last yeah. question I'll ask is what about like the protection of my digital space? Let's call it. What, how can we implement rules such that my hard drive cannot be legally hacked, right? This is my physical yeah. hard drive. It's, it, yeah, it's just dots and dashes or zeros and ones on the hard drive itself, right? But like there, I would think there needs to be some way to explicitly secure it from anyone willing to hack it. And so maybe it's the actual, like the computer companies, anyone who buys a computer, all the computer companies agree like these are the terms of service of using this device. You cannot, but then people can make their own computers, right? So like, is yep. there any mechanism that can say it is fraudulent or illegal for you to go into my computer remotely? You're not taking right. my physical property, but to go into my, you know, uh, meta space and take, you know, what I've put there. And as far as I know, it's safe storage, but you know, is it just yep. the security industry has to get better and better and better and better consistently? But how do we protect the average person from their shit getting stolen? Yeah, I mean, I, I just think it's it's incumbent on you to have um, security systems in place, right? And um, and 
you know, encryption. And I think blockchain offers some interesting uh, options. You know, blockchain, in fact, has like um, quite often has like third party arbitrage built right into the algorithm, right? So that if the conditions of the contract aren't met, that money doesn't get released or something like that. And so you, there, yeah. there's a lot of innovative ways now to, to provide security, even on contracts uh, that you might have with someone that, that are, are available to you, you know, and, and it's, you know, I used to always pirate certain software, like maybe Microsoft word or yeah, me too. final cut pro uh, was another one. Cause I did a lot of video editing, but I didn't want to shell out 1200 bucks for that program. Right. And I would, quite often copy it. And it was a kind of a pain in the ass because there was regular updates and then I had to find the key code and mm-hmm. all that stuff. But it's still, it was worth it to me to save a thousand bucks. But then Adobe came out with their subscription service. And for I think 10 or 15 bucks a month, I get access to the whole suite of Adobe things, Premiere, uh, like the, the video editor, the photo editor, uh, Photoshop. Um, like there's 36 different suite programs you can get for relatively small amount per month. Now over time, they're going to actually make more money than the makers of final cut ever made off of me. You know, that's, uh, you know, $20 a month. That's, that's, you know, over $200 a year, uh, that they're making and they'll make that in perpetuity because, uh, there's some use there. So they've adopted their business model. And a lot of people are in a lot of these different programs are going to a subscription service because, it's it's easier than trying to pirate it and, and trying to include something together. It's more regularly, right? They yeah. build up for three years and release, here's the new software. It's, it's just a relationship. I want the newest thing all the time. Yeah, so, absolutely. Yeah, so it'll be interesting. I have a lot to think about and hopefully, uh, you know, listen well, and, to and I, Yeah, and I'll, I'll give you three books that um, that are necessary for, for this to really understand it. Um, and and we'll provide the links below. One is uh, against against intellectual property by uh, Stefan Kinsella, who's an IP lawyer and a hardcore libertarian. So he's an actual IP lawyer, and he goes through he, that. This one is a philosophical argument against it, like it goes through the deontological epistemology and everything like that. It, it doesn't delve into the pragmatic of what will pharmaceutical companies do and how will innovation happen and, or any of that. It just makes a straight up uh, philosophical case against it. Then there's Boldrin and Levine against intellectual monopoly, and they come at it from a pragmatic point of view. They don't really touch on the ethics of it. It's more like talking about how innovation happens, what, how, how the evidence stacks up against intellectual monopoly as a promotion promoter of innovation and how it actually stifles innovation. And then the the newest book I'm reading is also really good is by Matt Ridley. And it's, I can't remember what its name. It's about how innovation happens. And he has a section in there on intellectual uh, property and and how it stifles innovation as well. So those three books are the ones I'd recommend. The one by Stefan Kinsella goes into the philosophical argument. And that one's actually a pretty short read. I think it's only like it's, you can get it, download it for free. It's pretty easy to find. And it's maybe 15, 20 pages at the most. Um, You know, you could read it in about an hour and understand the argument. So cool. Thanks, Tim. Thank you.